Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. Matthew chapter 5, we're launching back into the Beatitudes where we left off a few weeks ago. And we've just celebrated Christmas. Hopefully everybody had a great Christmas season. And one of the most famous passages from the Bible when we think about Christmas time is Luke chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. And this is when the angels announced the birth of Christ. And so it says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Peace on earth. It seems like Christmas is an announcement of peace on earth. Everybody's talking about peace. Everybody wants peace on earth. Now, some of you may be Beatles fans. I'm not going to sit here and, and, and do a poll, but a lot of you may remember uh, John Lennon was, was very much wanting there to be world peace. And so he, he wrote that Beatles song, All We Are Saying Is Give Peace a Chance. Some of you that are Beatles fans are singing, others like shaking your hands like, I have no idea what you're talking about, Pastor Sean. All we're saying is give peace a chance. And then he wrote another song called Merry Christmas, War is over. I don't know if you remember that song. It's an anti-war song, and it goes like this. So this is Christmas, and what have you done? Another year over, and a new one just begun. And so this is Christmas. I hope you have fun. The near and the dear ones, the old and the young. A very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Let's hope it's a good one without any fear. And so this is Christmas. War is over for weak and for strong. If you want it for rich and the poor ones, war is over the world is so wrong now. So somebody like John Lennon of the Beatles had this deep desire to see world peace. And there was the hippie movement of the 60s to see world peace. And everybody seems to think there's going to be this world peace. There's an interesting thing when it comes to war and peace. On December 24th, 1914, during World War I on Christmas Eve, there was an official ceasefire, unofficial ceasefire, between the Allied forces and the Axis forces, where on that day they unofficially decided to stop fighting the war in honor of Christmas. It was an unofficial ceasefire. Many of you may know what's going on in the Korea, North and South Korea. During the Korean War, a ceasefire was reached on July 27, 1953, to halt the conflict and establish the demilitarized zone. But however, there's been no peace treaty since. So technically, North and South Korea are still at war, even though there's been over 50 years of quote-unquote peace. Now, when we think about peace, let's just review 2012 for a moment. 2012 has been a very awful year when you think about what's happened in the life of our community and the life of our nation. Um, it started back at the very beginning of the school year with the deaths in our community, Cole Rhodes and others. This past summer, we had the Batman shooting where people were killed in Aurora, 
We had just a few weeks ago the school shooting in Connecticut that was awful, that was tragic. We've had knockdown, dragouts, presidential races this year where we th- thought that the, the ads were just going to be so terrible. And, and then this past summer, we had forest fires in Colorado that threatened to destroy Colorado Springs and other, other towns. We've had um, Israeli airstrikes on Palestine and Palestine airstrikes on Israel. We had the Benghazi attacks. You've got the Syria issue. You've got car bombs going off almost every day in Afghanistan and in Iraq. And then you've had the, the devastating effects of Hurricane Sandy. 2000 2012 has been a year that we could look back and say, has there been a lot of peace in 2012? And as we look towards 2013, we may think, well, what in the world does God have in store for us? So it's been a year on a national level, on an international level, where there's been a lot of conflict. But let's make it even more personal. Let's, let's talk about our home life. Maybe some of you in 2012, in your homes, in your workplaces, in your communities where where it hits close to home, maybe there's been a lack of peace in your family. Maybe there's been turmoil. Maybe there's been problems. Maybe there's been hostility. Maybe there's been very little peace. And so when you hear this message at Christmas time, peace on earth, you wonder if it's a pipe dream, if it's really a reality. And then again, Jesus is going to shock us with the words in his beatitude today because it deals with peace. So let's look at Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to start at verse 1 and and, and kind of pick up with all the beatitudes building upon one another as we get down to chapter, or verse 9, which is our main text for this morning. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And then for today, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Now, before we start talking about what it means to be a peacemaker, I think it's important for us to establish from the very beginning that Jesus himself is the giver of peace, and he is our peace. No lasting peace, whether it's international peace, whether it's between nations, whether it's between individuals, no real peace is going to happen unless Christ is the author of that peace, unless Christ is the one that brings that peace. He himself is our peace. As a matter of fact, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, we find these words of Paul. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. He himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Paul says Jesus himself is our peace. The blood of Christ brings peace. He is our peace. And then in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, we read this at Christmas time. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He, he is our peace. He's the Prince of Peace. And then notice in John 14, Jesus gives peace. 
But it's a different type of peace than we're used to. John 14, 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So from the very beginning, Jesus is our peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Jesus gives peace. Jesus is the author of peace. No real peace is going to happen unless Christ is involved as the Prince of Peace. And so we come to this beatitude. And Jesus tells us, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So we want to ask two questions of this passage of Scripture this morning. Two basic questions. Here's the first question. What does it really mean to be a peacemaker? What's a peacemaker? Not a pacemaker, but a peacemaker. And number two, the second question is, what does it really mean to be a son of God or a child of God? What's a peacemaker? Because I think our world is really looking for some peace right now. What is a peacemaker? Well, let's ask the first question. What is a peacemaker? It really involves two aspects. The first aspect of a peacemaker involves your character, and the second involves your activity. So let's talk about your character. A peacemaker is a person by their very nature, because of the Holy Spirit in them, because of God working in your heart, because of the fruit of the Spirit being produced in you, you are a peaceable person. You are a person that strives for peace. You're spirit-controlled. You display a gentle and a humble spirit. It relates to this idea of of having a purity in heart that we looked at a few weeks ago. You you plead with the Holy Spirit to produce within you this purity of heart so that you can can have this this heart for Christ. And and because you have a heart for Christ, you're a peaceable person. You're a gentle person. You're you're a humble person. It defines our very character. You're under control. These these beatitudes stack upon one another. When you're poor in spirit, when you mourn, when you're you're humble, when when um, when you're meek, When you're asking for righteousness, all these things come together and it creates within you a character of being a peacemaker. Now, look down further in the Sermon on the Mount there in chapter 5. Look at verse 38. Look at how Jesus defines a peacemaker. Now, this is a radical statement by Jesus. And if we look at this just for the face value, this is a radical statement because it goes against everything in our nature. Matthew 5, 38. Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Okay, get even, take revenge. But I say to you, do not resist the one who's evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he who makes sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Jesus says, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Be a peacemaker. Don't get even. Don't retaliate. Don't, don't strike a person. Now, let's look at Proverbs 13.10. It uses an interesting word here that we don't use in our, in our language a lot lately. But Proverbs 13.10 says, By insolence comes nothing but strife, but with those who take advice is wisdom. Now, we don't use the word insolence a lot, but let me just tell you what insolence means. It means being puffed up. It means being arrogant, being all that. 
The Bible says if you think you're all that, if you're arrogant, if you're puffed up, if you're cocky, if you're, if you're prideful, that does not define a peacemaker. A peacemaker actually sits back and has a realistic view of their self, and they seek wisdom. They seek godly counsel from other people. A, seek, a peacemaker moves slowly. You listen to advice, and you move slowly. You don't go off half-cocked trying to assert yourself. Proverbs 20, verse 3. It is an honor for a man to keep aloof from strife, but every fool will be quarreling. Notice it says it's an honor. It's an honor to keep away from strife. It's an honor to be a peacemaker. It's an honorable thing to stay away from quarreling, from fighting, from striving, to be one of humility. Paul tells us in Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, there, I therefore, as a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Okay, walk in a manner worthy of being a Christian. What does this entail? Verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul says one of the ways you walk as a Christian in a worthy manner is you strive for peace. You are a peacemaker. You seek peace peace. You're, you're gentle. You're humble. You don't quarrel. You don't get in fights. You don't, you don't strive. And then in James 3, 17 through 18, but the wisdom from above, godly wisdom, is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and insincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. James says, if you want to have true godly wisdom, it's going to produce within you the ability to be a peacemaker. So, so the first thing about being a peacemaker is it's your very character. It's produced by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit produces within you this humility, this gentleness, this desire to make peace. Okay, that's the attitude. That's your character. That's, that's the nature of being a Christian. But the second aspect of being a peacemaker involves taking it a step further. A step further. You're not so wrapped up in yourself. See, one of, the, one of the issues about being a peacemaker is you understand self. In other words, you deny self. You push self aside and you look towards the needs of others. You're not so wrapped up in self-entrance, self-pleasure. You're looking for the needs of others. And so here's the second activity of a peacemaker. Not only is it your attitude, but it's an action. You actually actively desire to make peace. Where there's war, where there's hostility, you desire to bring people together that are at odds. You are a peacemaker, not just in your nature, not just in your character, not just as a fruit of the Spirit, but it results in activity. You want to make peace where you see war, where you see conflict, whether that's on a family level, whether that's at workplace, wherever it is that you see conflict, you want to be a peacemaker. Now let's look at this from two angles, because I think there's two angles of being a peacemaker. Here's the first angle of being a peacemaker. Number one, you want to see people at peace with God first. I mean, ultimately, being a peacemaker is an evangelistic issue. You want to see those who are sinners, those who are rebels, to be brought back into a right relationship with their creator to be establishing peace. We want to see lost people saved. Because here's the issue. Sinners who are without Christ 
are at odds with God. They are at enmity with God. They're at war with God. They're at hostility with God. They stand estranged from God, and they need to be brought back into a right relationship with God. And one of the goals of being a peacemaker is to say, I see lost people who are enslaved to their sin, and I want them to be brought back into a relationship with God and have peace. Therefore, I want to share the gospel with them. Titus 2, 3, verse 3, talks about how people are without Jesus. He says this, For we ourselves were once foolish, once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. That describes a lost person. You're enslaved, you're hating, you've got uh, sin in your heart, and the Bible says you're separated from God, and so a peacemaker says, I see a lost person here that's, in stra- that's enslaved to their sin, that's at war with God, and I want them to be in a right relationship with God. I want there to be peace between a sinner and their creator. Romans ten fifteen says this, And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Ephesians 6.15, And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Our our, our feet bring good news to those that are lost. We bring the gospel of peace. What we want to do as peacemakers is to say, Okay, lost person, person without Christ, You're a prisoner of war. You're in the clutches of Satan. You're at odds with God. You're at enmity. And if you die in your sins today, you will be forever under the wrath of God. I don't want you to stay there. I want there to be peace between you and your creator. And the only way I know to do that is to tell you the gospel. And the gospel is a message of salvation, a message of hope. And so the first thing that we see here is that we want to be evangelistic in seeing that people are at peace with their creator. So that's one of the first ways you become a peacemaker. You become a peacemaker by being evangelistic. I want to see lost people get saved. But secondly, you want to see peace between people. A peacemaker says, I see people at odds, not just people at odds with their creator, but people at odds, whether it's in your family or whether it's in in the workplace or whether it's in your neighborhood or whether it's with your friends. You see people at odds, at war, at hostility, and you desire to be the bridge. You desire to be the one that comes and gathers them together and says, I want you guys to come together and I want you to make peace. Peace, I want there to be reconciliation. Psalm 34, 14 says this. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Seek peace and pursue it. What does pursue mean? Pursue means to chase and hunt it down. Run after peace. A peacemaker is always looking for ways to make peace. You're hunting it down. You're seeking after it. You're striving after it. You want to be a peacemaker. Wherever there's war, wherever there's odds, wherever there's hostility, you want there to be peace. 1 Thessalonians 5.13 says this, Be at peace among yourselves. Be at peace among yourselves. Hebrews 12.14, Strive for peace with everyone, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Strive for peace. Seek peace. Actively be a peacemaker. Now, what did Jesus pray for? It's interesting to think about what Jesus prayed for, because he knew it wasn't going to happen or it was going to be hard to happen. Listen to how Jesus prays for in John 17, 20-23. This is part of Jesus' high priestly prayer when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he's going to be crucified. Listen to what he prays to the Father. I do not ask for these only, 
but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you've sent me. The glory that you've given me, I've given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them as you've loved me. Three times Jesus says, I want them to be what? One. I want believers to be at peace. I want them to be perfectly unified. And so Jesus even prays for peace. Jesus prays for our unity. Don Richardson has written a book back in the late 70s called Peace Child. It's about the Sawi tribes in Papua New Guinea. And these were cannibalistic headhunters. And these tribes were fighting against each other for years. And they would just kill each other and brutally murder each other. And and he was a missionary sent there to figure out, how in the world am I going to present the gospel to cannibalistic headhunters that are always fighting each other? I mean, talk about war. If, if, the, if the neighboring tribe, let's say Marino, was cannibalistic headhunters and Sterling, you know, there would be a, a problem here in northeastern Colorado if we had this type of, of relationship. And so what he did was he tried to figure out the best way to present the gospel. And, and he finally heard a legend. There's a legend in their, in, their, in their culture. The legend was about a peace child. Here was the legend. If one of the villages offered up a newborn baby to the other village and didn't kill the baby, then there would be peace for many years between the two villages. And this baby was called the peace child. And so he thought, hmm, this is in their culture. This plays right into what the gospel is. So he went in there and said, Jesus is the peace child. God is the one that sent Jesus down to be the peace child. He's the firstborn son. He's going to bring peace between you. And, and so what ended up happening was, as they understood this concept of peace child, It opened up doors for the gospel, and then many of them got saved, and churches were established, and it totally revolutionized that that village because no longer were they warring against each other, no longer were they fighting against each other. They were loving one another because of the peace child. And so what Don Richardson did was he did both types of peacemaking. Number one, he said, you can have peace with your creator, God, and because of that, you can have peace with each other. And so he was a peacemaker not only evangelistically, but also between Fighters, people that were fighting against each other. Now, peacemaking. Let's talk about just some some issues related to this because you're probably thinking in your mind, peacemaking. Hmm. There's probably a lingering question going on in your mind. What if I try to make peace? What if I try my hardest to reconcile and just peace doesn't happen? What happens if it never does, never does come? What if, what if there, there's still hostility? What if there's still war? What if there's still odds? What if I try my hardest under the power of the Holy Spirit to bring peace and it, doesn't ju- and, it, and it just doesn't happen? What if it never comes? Well, Paul answers that question for us in Romans 12, 18. He says this, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Notice what Paul says, if possible, meaning it may not be possible, so far as it depends on who? You. You can't control the actions of someone else. You can't control the responses of someone else. The only thing you can control is how you become a peacemaker. And so Paul's saying, if it's possible, 
And it may not. There may come a time where you've tried and you've tried and you've tried and there's just going to be no peace. You can't control the response of the other person. The only thing you can do is at the end of the day, know that you have a good conscience, that you tried through the power of the Holy Spirit. You asked for that grace and you did everything you could do. And at the end of the day, if there's no peace, you know that you've tried, if at all possible, to live peaceably. But there may never be reconciliation. There may never be um, amending. And sometimes we just can't control that. And Paul says, as far as it depends upon you. Now here's another question you may be asking. Do I seek peace at all costs? Even if it means sacrificing truth. Do I sacrifice truth or doctrine on the altar of peace? Because in the words of Rodney King, why can't we all just get along? Do we just all get along and throw out theology and doctrine and say whatever you believe is okay? Do we sacrifice truth? Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 10. Turn over to Matthew 10 for a moment. Because it sounds like Jesus is speaking out of both words of his mouth. He's not both sides of his mouth. Jesus just told us in the Beatitudes, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. We've seen tons of passages of Scripture that talk about being a peacemaker. Live at peace. Be a peacemaker. Seek peace. Strive for peace. If possible, live at peace. But notice what Jesus says, and it's very specific. Matthew 10, 34. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me and whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Well, which one is it, Jesus? He says, I have not come to bring peace. What he's talking about here is that when it comes to the exclusivity of Christ as the only way of salvation, when it comes to those absolute dogmatic essentials that we believe as Christians, i.e. the Bible being the holy word of God, Jesus is the only way of salvation, the absolute lordship of Christ, salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, the reality of heaven, the reality of hell, the virgin birth, the resurrection, the the deity of Christ, when it comes to those absolute things, Jesus says those are non-negotiables. There's no wiggle room for those things. Those things, you you can't just sit there and debate and argue. You may never have peace with another person if they fail to to submit to me as Lord and Savior. You cannot sacrifice doctrinal truth for peace in some situations. There are some absolutes that Jesus says they're going to bring conflict. When you talk about Jesus being the only way of salvation, when you talk about an eternal hell, when you talk about repentance, when you talk about judgment, when you talk about lordship, those are things that by their very nature with the gospel are going to bring conflict, and they may not ever bring peace. But Jesus says you can't, you can't sacrifice those things. Now, I'm very thankful. Every Wednesday, I pray with a group of pastors here in northeastern Colorado. I pray with Pastor John at First Baptist. I pray with Pastor Ben at the Foursquare. I pray with Pastor Dale at the United Church in Crook. And I pray with Marshall, who's the pastor of uh, Chapel of the Plains out in um, Stoneham. And we pray every Wednesday for each other. Now, 
couple of them. We, we have some different differences of, of minor beliefs. You know, we've got some Baptists, and we've got some evangelical free, and we've got some charismatics, and we've got, we've got the mix there together. But when we come together and pray, we all know what we stand for. We all know that when we come to pray, we may have different church backgrounds, but we all believe the essentials, and we can come unified and pray together and have a great camaraderie as brothers in Christ. And by the way, let me just announce something. In a few weeks, on January 13th, here at Emmanuel, we are going to have a joint community-wide worship service. It's going to be a very special thing. The praise team from First Baptist is going to lead out in worship. The youth praise team from the Stoneham Church is going to lead out in worship. Each pastor is going to have a time of prayer, and then we're going to pray for revival, and we're going to pray for spiritual awakening. And then afterwards, we're going to have a, a dessert fellowship where all of us are going to get together. So five churches coming together on a night here at Emmanuel that we're hosting, it, and we're hoping to see this about every quarter at the different churches. We can get together for the gospel, even though we have minor differences, because we believe the essentials. And we can be unified and we can have peace. But, and let me say this loud and clear, there are some pastors in this town I cannot do ministry with. I cannot have a relationship with because of their stance on the issue of homosexuality, their stance on the issue of the authority of the Bible, their stance on the issue of universalism, the, the stances that they have that would be more liberal. I cannot, in good conscience, cooperate with them. I can't strive, not that I purposely want to be at odds with them, but that we may never have peace. We may never agree. And so I'm not going to sacrifice the belief system of what I believe the Bible teaches and what our church teaches just to have friendships with those that don't have that relationship and do ministry together. Now, it doesn't mean I won't be their friends. It just means that I can't do ministry with them. So Jesus says, in some cases, in some cases, there's never going to be peace because the gospel always trumps peace. But strive for peace in all circumstances. Don't be rude about it. Don't be arrogant about it. Don't be a know-it-all. The gospel in and of itself is going to divide. It's going to cause friction. It's going to cause hostility. But don't add to that by being a jerk. It's basically what Jesus is saying. So we're called to be peacemakers. Peacemakers in our homes. Peacemakers at our jobs peacemakers in our communities, peacemakers in our schools, peacemakers in our neighborhoods. Wherever God has called you to be, you are to strive to be a peacemaker. Where you see lost people at odds with God, you want to bring peace through the gospel, through evangelism. When you see people at odds, you want to be a peacemaker to bring them together, to be a peacemaker. And so Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. It's a spirit-controlled person who in and of himself or herself is, is, is peaceable is humble, is gentle because of the fruit of the Spirit in their life. And in, 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 in result of that, they, dis, they determine to make peace where there's, where there's hostility. Now, let's look at the second big question for this morning. Because the second half of Jesus' beatitude says, Blessed are the peacemakers because they shall be called sons of God. What does it mean to be a son of God? Now, some of you may be sitting out there thinking, I'm a woman. How can I be a son of God? Well, you have to understand something about the title son. It's a title. A title of being a son is not basically saying that we're being discriminating against women. It's basically, a, in that culture, it was a title of honor, meaning that you were adopted into the family. So think about it this way. Your sons and daughters, your children of God, you've been adopted into God's family. And here's the issue. What Jesus is saying here is this. When you are a peacemaker, like father, like son like father, like daughter, you begin to imitate and act like your daddy. 
How does your daddy act? God himself is the ultimate peacemaker. What did God do? God took those of us who were rebels, God took those of us that were at odds, those of us that sinned, those of us that committed cosmic treason against him, and he dared to send Jesus to come to earth. That's why we celebrate Christmas. Jesus lived a perfect life. Jesus died on the cross. Jesus rose again. God reconciled sinners back to himself and made peace. And so what God is saying is, when you are a peacemaker, you are acting just like your father. It's a beautiful title to be called a peacemaker because then you act like you are sons of God. You begin to act more like your father. Romans 8, 14 through 16 says this. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons in whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. When you become a Christian, you get adopted into God's family. And when you get adopted into God's family, he gives you the Holy Spirit. He gives you a new home. He gives you a new identity. He gives you a new life. You have a new, a new relationship with God, and you can cry out, Abba, which means Daddy. And when you cry out, Abba, and when you cry out, Daddy, and you, and you live as a true child of God, you are reflecting the very nature of your Father, and you're becoming a peacemaker. John 1 12 through 13 says this, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It's a glorious privilege to be born of God. It's a title, it's a privilege that when you become a Christian, when God saves you, when God causes you to be born again, you were born into a new family, you're given a new title, you're given a new name, you're given a new identity, you are now a child of God, you are in the family forever. And so what Jesus is saying is, as a child, act like your dad. And who is your dad? The Father, who's the ultimate peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers. God is always trying to seek peace where there's at war and when we act like our father we are called children or sons of God but there's one other thing I want us to consider for this morning what does the God of peace promise us in 2013 because if you're like me and you look back at 2012 you can say this has been a pretty crummy year a lot of stuff happened in 2012. How do we know going into 2013 that we're going to have hope? How are we going to cope in 2013 because, because it just seems like our world is spinning out of control? Let me give you three promises that God promises to give as the God of peace. Because when you think about peace for a moment, sometimes it sounds like it's a pie-in-the-sky thing. Are, are you really serious, Sean, there can be peace? You don't know my family. You don't know the conversations that happened in my car on the way to church. You don't know how I yelled at my wife this morning getting ready. You don't know what's going on at work. You don't know what's going on in my school. You don't know what's going on in my life. There is no peace. How can you stand up here and say, blessed are the peacemakers, Sean? It sounds like a fairy tale. Well, let me tell you, it's not a fairy tale. It's not the whole John Lennon, let's just give peace a chance. We're not going to give peace a chance. We're going to look at something more solid than just a chance. We're going to look at three promises that God himself, as the God of peace, promises you this morning. And it gives us hope. It gives us encouragement. As we go into 2013, I want us to bank on these three promises that, 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 that God gives us so that we can go into 2013 knowing that God is in control. So here's the first promise. It's a wonderful promise. 
God has promised to fully and finally crush our enemy, the devil. Now here's what I did as I was studying for this passage of Scripture this week. There are three passages of Scripture in the New Testament where it says the God of peace will do something. The God of peace will do something. The God of peace will do something. And so if God is the God of peace, what does he promise to do? Well, here's the first thing that God of peace promises to do to crush Satan. Romans 16, 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Now, the thing about that passage that says the God of peace will soon crush, we don't know how soon that's going to happen. It's just going to happen soon. But we live in a fallen world, and Satan has not been finally crushed, and so we're living in that between time, but we know ultimately and finally the devil will be crushed. Your foe, the ancient enemy, the red dragon, the serpent, the enemy, the one that prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, the one that this morning wants to terrorize and traumatize you, God will ultimately and finally crush under your feet as the God of peace. We have the promise that God will win the victory in the end. Revelation 20.10, the devil knows this. This is why he's so scared. This is why he ramps up his attacks because he's read Revelation and he knows his doom. Revelation 20, verse 10, and the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. The devil knows this. He can read. He knows his doom is to be thrown into the lake of fire forever and ever. And until that day, he's going to attack knowing that his time is short. But God promises that soon Satan will be crushed under our feet. I don't know about you, but that gives me hope as I go into 2013. That no matter what the devil brings towards me, it's only because, number one, God has allowed it. The devil can't do anything that God doesn't allow. Don't ever think that the devil is more powerful than God. It's not two equal opposing forces. God is sovereign. He only allows what the, the devil can only do what God allows him to do. But the devil will soon be crushed under our feet. It gives us confidence to know that there's one day, a day of judgment coming for Satan. The God of peace will do that. So that's promise number one. Promise number two. The God of peace promises to do this work to make us look more like Jesus. Haven't we been talking all through the fall, the whole identity series, being conformed to the image of Christ, looking more like Jesus, growing to be more like Christ? Well, God promises to do it. Here's another passage where the God of peace promises to do something. In 1 Thessalonians 5.23, Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. What God started in your salvation, he will complete it. And thank the Lord that passage doesn't say God will sanctify us halfway. Does anybody here want to be halfway sanctified? Does anybody want to just kind of halfway make it to heaven? No, he promises to get us all the way to heaven, to make us look more like Jesus, to work in our lives. As a matter of fact, Philippians 1.6 says this, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to the completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So what God started, he will complete. God, God of peace will promise to bring you to completion. What he started in your salvation, you don't have to worry one day, am I going to make it to heaven? Am I going to get there by, uh, by the skin of my neck? Am I, am I going to be good enough? No, what God started, the God of peace promises to do completely. And on that day, he's going to present you before God and all, all of your purity because of Christ. So number one, God will crush Satan. And number two, God will promise to fulfill what he's promised. In starting your salvation, he will finish it. But here's the third one. The God of peace will equip us with everything that we need. 
Okay, two things haven't happened yet, have they? Has Satan been crushed? Fallen finally? No. Have you gone to heaven yet? No. So we have a ruthless enemy, the devil, and we await the second coming of Christ or our death. And until that day, you and I are still on this planet having to survive. How do we cope? How do you live with an ancient enemy, the devil? How do you live with the sin in your life? How do you survive making it? Let me show you a passage of Scripture you should underline, highlight, circle, whatever you want to do in your Bible. Hebrews 13, 20-21. It's another God of peace passage. But God promises to do something powerful in this. And I, I pray we as Christians get this. You don't have to live in defeat. You don't have to live in discouragement. You don't have to live in depression. You can live with the promise of what the God of peace promises to do here. So I want you to, to look at this scripture. Now, may the God of peace, there's that God of peace language, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, there's the resurrection of Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant. Okay, the whole fact that Jesus, death, burial, and resurrection, the God of peace is going to do something. Verse 21, what's the verb there? He will equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The God of peace promises to do something. What does he promise to do? Equip. Empower. Enable. Give you the strength to do what? Put that passage back up there on the screen. He will equip you to do everything good. Everything good that you may do his will. So you're not on your own. The God of peace promises to equip you. He promises to be in you, to guide you, to support you, to encourage you. The God of peace will equip you to do everything according to God's will. And what's it all about? Go to the next slide here. Let's just look at this real quick. The, the, the next verse up there still. Working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. What's the ultimate aim of everything that God does? Why does God crush Satan? Why does God get us to heaven? Why does God equip us to do his will? Why does God do anything he does? For his glory. He does everything for his glory. It's all about his glory. So as we finish 2012 and we launch into 2013, whatever comes our way, whether it's temptation, whether it's trial, whether it's tribulation, whether it's, it's loss, whether it's death, whatever it is, we've got a wonderful promise. Satan doesn't win. God will get us to heaven, and God will equip us with everything that we need. I don't know about you, but that should give you great encouragement that God will equip you and praise God from whom all blessings flow because the Trinity works in unity to do this. The Father, the God of peace, is doing something in your life. Jesus, who is the Prince of Peace and is our peace, is doing something in our life. And the Holy Spirit, who produces the fruit of the Spirit of peace, is doing something. So you have all three persons of the Trinity working on your behalf. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are working for you to bring about God's glory and your sanctification to equip you to do what is pleasing. So you can be successful in 2013 living a life of faith because God will equip you to be a peacemaker. 
So all we're saying is give peace a chance. No, I'm sorry, Mr. John Lennon, as much as you may like the Beatles, we're not just going to give peace a chance. God of peace has promised to do things that are a whole lot more powerful than just this whole idea of world peace. We're talking about something great, the conquering of Satan, the complete sanctification of our lives in heaven and equipping us to do everything good. God will grant us peace because Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Jesus is our peace, and Jesus gives us peace. And so as we read these words, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God, may we go out in 2013 and be like our daddy. Let me ask you to bow your heads this morning. Maybe you've come in here this morning and you know in your heart of hearts that you don't have peace with God. You've walked in here and you're wrestling with things in your life and you've got sin in your heart and you know deep down in the very core of your soul that you don't have peace with God. That if you were to die today, you would be in your sins and you would be forever in hell separated from God. The invitation, the offer, the exhortation, the, the, the encouragement to you this morning is repent of that sin and believe in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Ask Him to forgive you of your sins. Confess Him as Lord and Savior. Beg Him for that peace that only comes through the cross of Jesus Christ and He will bring it. For others of you in this room, you may be struggling with an issue in your heart, in your life, and you're just, you're, you're, you're worried about 2013. There, there's some angst in your heart. There's some unsettledness. That there's some issues. Maybe it's a relational issue. Maybe it's a job issue. And you just, you don't have peace in your heart. And you need peace. My prayer is that the God of peace will give you that this morning. And he will equip you and he will encourage you. And for others of you in this room, maybe God's calling you to be an active peacemaker in a very specific situation in your life right now where there's warfare going on and God is looking you square in the face and saying, you're the one, you're the peacemaker. You've got to take a risk and do it. May God give you the courage and the comfort to be able to be the peacemaker. So wherever you are this morning, God is ready and willing and able to meet you at your point of need and to equip you and to encourage you because he is the God of peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace and the Holy Spirit will produce the fruit of peace in you. So spend just a few moments in silent prayer this morning asking God to search your heart to give you exactly what he knows you need. So let's spend some time in prayer this morning. Father, how we desperately need peace in our world. We need peace in our communities. We need peace in our families. Lord, we need peace in our own souls. 
And I'm reminded even in this moment to him, it is well with my soul. And peace like a river attendeth my way when sea billows toss me about on the, the waves of life. Whatever comes my way, whatever my lot, you taught me to say it as well with my soul because we have that peace. And Lord Jesus, we know that you give us the peace and what you give the world can't take away and we know that the devil can't take it away and we know he's ultimately going to be defeated and Father, you promised to equip us with everything good to do your will and Holy Spirit, you promised to produce within us the fruit of peace. So my prayer as we close out 2013, Lord Jesus, is that, I mean 2012 and, and going to 2013, is that we would be peacemakers. We would have the hope of the gospel. And Lord, we do pray that 2013 is a better year. We know you're sovereign over events and things will happen that will shock us. But Lord, help us in the midst of that see you at work and help us to be salt and light and help us to be voices of truth and voices of love and voices of encouragement. Lord, just encourage us as we leave this place to walk with the hope to know that you are a God of peace. You'll give us peace. You're the Prince of Peace. You'll equip us with peace. Thank you that you are Almighty God. And Lord, if there's anybody here in this room that's in their seat right now, in this very moment, and their heart is pounding because they know they don't have peace with you. They know they're not a believer in Jesus Christ. They may say they are. They may play a good game. They may even come to church, but they know in their heart of hearts they've never fully trusted you alone for salvation. Would today be their day of salvation where they submit to you? Would you grant them peace for the very first time when they repent and they believe in you as Savior, Jesus? Would you be glorified in everything that's done this morning? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.